This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you, as the parent, can follow their ride on a live tracking map. Yeah, when your teen requests a trip, they're matched with highly rated, experienced drivers and you receive real-time notifications. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. It makes them feel safe, and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. And today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. This is part two of our Piescapade. This is part two of our history, our surprisingly long and interesting history of the act of throwing pie at someone for laughs specifically. Noel, I feel like we should have said that earlier, specifically for laughs. Yeah, it's it's definitely for laughs, but we also talked about there's some political undertones behind it. The idea of cutting down like the upper class, the upper crust, perhaps. It's okay. Um, Down to size visually with a pie in the face. By the late 1920s, this thing, I think I used the term meme status in the last episode, but it had absolutely overtaken the zeitgeist. It was something that people recognized. And it, you know, we we always talk about ritualization. There's something kind of comforting in recognizing something and seeing it come back over and over again, like the old gag of uh, someone getting shot in the butt and then grabbing the seat of his pants and jumping up and down. All of these things, to me, really remind me of Looney Tunes. I think that's where I got most of my taste of all of this type of comedy, because I certainly wasn't, like, into, like, weird archival silent films and, you know, Buster Keaton films and stuff. But Looney Tunes and Bugs Bunny really took all that and took it to another level, because, you know, you can do more with cartoons than you can with real Mm. bodies that, you know, get hurt and stuff. Yeah. And they are, those cartoons, of course, are heavily based on 
vaudeville. Uh, we want to shout out our super producer, Casey Pegram. Our producers, Max Williams. And Andrew Howard. I'm Ben. Let's get into it. No, let's go straight to part two of the history of throwing pie. I know. I think I jumped the pie a little bit there on the beginning. But here we are in 1927 with Hal Roach Studios and Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy, who you've definitely heard of. Yes. Yeah. At the very end of part one, we teased the most epic of pie fights on film in Laurel and Hardy's The Battle of the Century. So now, at this point in the late 1920s, everybody knows about pie fights. It's almost expected. Like, it's just a, it's just one of the ingredients when you watch a comedy. It was like you were describing, Noel, similar to the trope of someone getting shot in the butt and them jumping up and down like, oh, I've got shot in the butt, but I'm the Duke. Or, you know, I'm the <laughs> <Right>. mayor. <laughs> My trousers are singed. <laughs> right. So when this cliche became so familiar, and this is coming from that historian, Steve Massa, we mentioned earlier, there's a weird psychological thing that happens. The trope starts to recur more often in the collective mind than it does in actual film. So we're remembering examples of pie throwing, but we might be remembering more examples than actually exist. 1927, like you said, Noel, Hal Roach Studio gets Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy together. This is a prescient move. They will go on to become the most beloved comic duo in cinema history. They make several films that year, and one of those is a parody of a boxing match known as The Battle of the Century. That's right. And and that was probably one of the big reasons that these types of pictures were cash cows for the studio, because they were really easy to make. And they just had kind of like a core cast of players and compared to like much larger set piece kind of things or dramas or period dramas and things like that. You know, it, it was really just some props and some costumes and shooting these kind of sketches. But you're right, Ben. By this point, the pie trope was so ubiquitous that high-level players like Laurel and Hardy, who were trying to, like, come up with the new next thing, were almost kind of like, eh, it's kind of been done, right? And the, and the producers felt the same way. But in the writer's room, I guess you could call it, for that film, The Battle of the Century, there was a discussion around a particularly physical comedy scene that involved a banana peel. Like you said, Ben, it's not nearly as easy to, to slip on a banana peel as one might think. But in the discussions, uh, some, you know, bright-eyed young writer said, how about we put in a pie fight? To which all of the executives and writers in the room kind of let out a collective uh. groan. Uh, because there was it was kind of hackneyed at that point. But Laurel and Hardy saw potential in kind of subverting that trope, or at the very least, taking it to such extremes that it could literally never be done again in, in any more grand a way as they were going to end up doing. Yeah, it was brilliant. Laurel attributes this to himself. He was talking <laughs> with an author named, uh, as comedians are wont to do, he he uh, was talking with an author named John McCabe, a guy who would later go on to write Mr. Laurel and Mr. Hardy, an affectionate biography. And he said, you know what, exactly what you're saying, Noel. He said, let's give them so many pies that there will never be room for any more pie pictures in the whole history of movies. So the way they have this work out is that Hardy drops a banana peel 
and he want you know he intends for Laurel to slip on this in front of a place called in a burst of creativity, ye old pie shop. But like shoppy, like spelled like the old English way, S H O P P E. Yes, an old O L D E. So there's a pie delivery guy. He walks by. He slips on the peel. He's PO'd. So he throws a pie at Hardy's face. Hardy gets mad. He throws a pie in retaliation. And instead of hitting the pie delivery guy, he hits a young woman on her bottom. She turns and then she gets another pie directly in the face. And then she stomps over and matters escalate from there. They really do uh, to absolutely over the top proportions. I think there's an estimate, you know, and it's probably, again, it's one of these Hollywood lore things that they used 4,000 pies, the entire output of a local Los Angeles, I think it was literally called the Los Angeles Pie Company, their entire, I think it was day's output or was it a week's output? I'm not quite sure how many pies can you make in a day. Yeah, the whole day at least. Yeah, but like, okay. if, if you're familiar with the um, wonderful frenetic crescendo of classical work like uh, The Hall of the Mountain King, this is basically a slapstick version of that dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. soon, as soon as the young lady gets involved, pies are going everywhere. There's a bystanders get involved. There's a guy in a top hat. He gets hit. There's a patient in a dentist chair. They get smacked. There's a guy who's working in the sewer. He peeps up from a manhole. Smack. There's a person at a lunch counter. Smack. There's a guy who just got a haircut. He's admiring himself. Smack. There's some lady minding her own business, tending flowers. Smack, smack, smack. At one point, Laurel is in side of the pie delivery guy's truck and he's filling orders for uh, people <laughs> who are buying pies to throw at other people. Oh, it's amazing. It's an amazing melee. It also reminds me of that I Love Lucy sketch where they're, she and Ethel are uh, working at the chocolate factory and they're like putting the chocolates into these little tins or whatever they are as the assembly line goes by. And then gradually they increase the speed of the assembly line till they're like trying to keep up. They're shoving chocolates in their mouths and down their you know dresses and stuff. It's that kind of, you're right, Ben, that escalating frenetic pace and tension that just leaves you kind of like with your jaw dropped, you know? Yeah, and even the literary crowd got on board with this. The uh, famous writer, Henry Miller. Yes, very steamy writer. Yes, yeah, yeah. He uh, was known as a perennial bohemian. Uh, so everybody <laughs> have fun with Google on that one. But yeah, so he describes this a bit with a bit of hyperbole, I think, as, quote, the greatest comic film ever made because it bought pie throwing to apotheosis. There was nothing but pie throwing in it. Nothing but pies, thousands and thousands <laughs> of pies and everybody throwing them left and right. Oh, I can see how that could appeal to a bohemian or kind of a hedonistic type dude like Henry Miller, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then this uh, film critic, this top film critic of the of the age from 1949, James Agee, commented uh, thusly for Life magazine. And this is great. This is like such a poetic description of what's ultimately an absurd thing. The first pies were thrown thoughtfully, almost philosophically. Mm. Then innocent bystanders began to get caught into the vortex. A full pitch, it was Armageddon. But everything was calculated so nicely that until late in the picture, when Havoc took over, every pie made its special kind of point and then piled on its special kind of laughter. Wow. 
Like Gremlins too, you know, what would it be it's without the just like Gremlins 2. <laughs> it also reminds me of, again, this is such a trope and a trope within a trope at this point, that scene in Wayne's World where, I mean, I think it's Wayne's World 2, where he's on the way to the uh, wedding chapel to keep Christopher Walken from marrying Cassandra. And there's like the two dudes with the glass that are walking across the street. And there's like chicken coops or something. You know what I mean? One of those scenes where everything that can go wrong does in this like mm-hmm. Rube Goldberg chain reaction. It's very uh, expertly choreographed, too. You know, the if you look at the film, um, it really is a thing to behold. And 4,000 Pies is nothing to sneeze at. And like we talked about earlier or in the previous episode, doing one of these sequences to get it wrong requires so much resetting. You know, it, it would, mm-hmm. literally everyone would have to change costumes and shower off. You can't get this wrong. It's like the scene where you blow up the entire town. You get, it's going to be an absolute disaster if you have to do it again. Yeah, especially because you want to go with practical effects. A CGI pie just won't cut it. And it's weird because the world of comedy for a time reacted against the pie trope. By the time the 1920s come around, by the time Laurel and Hardy are doing this brilliant work, the public is tired of the custard pie bit. There were even comedies coming out that were advertising the fact that they did not have a pie throwing scene. And like ads were so snarky back then. They would say things like a custard pie and a pretty girl or two in a bathing suit do not make a comedy. Yeah, this would have absolutely become like the broadest comedy of the time. Like the way we would think of like maybe gross out comedy today, like the Farrelly Brothers movies or not, not, not to diss the Farrelly Brothers movies. Some of those are quite funny, but there are things that are considered low, you know, like Mm. in terms of in critical circles. And obviously the Laurel and Hardy bit was high-minded enough and absolutely genre-busting that even the literati were getting in on it and saying, this is kind of cool. But that really was the high watermark for pie throwing, right? And then after that, it kind of became gauche to do it. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in, and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your team enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Sometimes to get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. We're nothing if not trailblazers here at Ridiculous History. And you know who also is a huge uh, iconoclastic challenger of the status quo, Ben? Who is that, Noel? I think you know. 
Hmm. It's Harry's. Yes, it's Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by all kinds of like slipshod, questionable products in the shaving industry. And they said, hey, you got to be the change. I was excited to try out the Winston set. It's an all-in-one package. You get some shaving cream. You get that great razor we're talking about. They also have deodorants. Yeah, I was about to say. Very helpful. I do really enjoy uh, their line of self-care products. Um, Richly lathering, skin-softening body washes and scents like redwood, wild lens, and stone. You want to know what a stone smells like? I've often wondered. Only you know you can. <laughs> so don't settle for the status quo, folks. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash history. Once again, that's harrys.com slash history for a $3 trial set. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's this. There's always a catch. So when we heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are just $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, we thought, what's the catch? So we dug in, and after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't a catch. Can you believe that? Mint Mobile's got a secret sauce, babies, and it is that they sell wireless service online and by doing so, cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet, sweet, delicious savings directly onto you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. And, of course, we're mentioning pies. A lot of our fellow listeners in the audience today may have wondered why we didn't mention one of the infamous trios, a triumvirate of comedy, a trinity of slapstick, the Three Stooges. Between 1930 and 1960, they made like 220 films. Insane. And they loved a pie gag. That's the thing, Ben. The whole position I was talking about earlier, I think, was more like the critical perspective that this was, you know, sort of like old hat or old pie or whatever. But that doesn't mean that the public didn't still kind of love it. And there was what you could maybe call a pie resurgence. Did it ever really leave? I don't know. But the Three Stooges were kind of at the core of that with those 220 films, many of which were like pie films in that it even had the word pie in the title. Films like In the Sweet Pie and Pie. <laughs> yeah, in 1941. And Pies and Guys in 1958. And they even remade movies that had pie in the title. Right, yeah. So there was a 1925 remake of Max Sennett's The Great Pie Mystery. They just changed the title to Spook Louder. So in this film, there's a segment where Larry, Moe, and Curly are trying to control this weird machine that appears to throw pies out of thin air. <laughs> and uh, it's not, you know, it's not maybe the best work in the avoir, but it's useful for our episode today. Well, they're catching up with the times, right? Now robots are throwing pies. This is like the brave new world of pie throwing. They have to like take it to the next level, right? Mm -hmm. And Larry Fine would later recall that there was some blood, sweat, and tears involved in the pie business. He said, sometimes we would run out of pies, so the prop man would sweep up the pie goop off the floor, complete with nails, splinters, and tacks. What? <laughs> and he said, you know, he still had what I'm just going to 
arbitrarily call the Arbuckle problem from now on, which is you had to get people to convincingly appear as though they did not know a pie was coming your way. And so he talks about how they would fake each other out with this the same way that maybe a nurse might fake out a kid who's getting a shot. They would say, okay, we're going to we're going to count to three and then we're going to throw it. But then you'd lean to the person throwing it and they would be like, okay, throw on two. Mm. Just throw it on two. Diabolical. Yeah. And then, no, you're absolutely right, Ben. Uh, but it was really important to get that uh, absolutely authentic reaction. Otherwise, the comedy wouldn't land, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so now we've got the Stooges, Laurel and Hardy. They're big, big, big in the pie throwing game. And a bunch of other people are copying them. Children's shows like The Little Rascals, they love a good pie-throwing scene. Uh, also, to the earlier point, Bugs Bunny being very much descended from vaudeville is also throwing pies. And then you see you see an attempt to get toward more of that Hall of the Mountain King pie-throwing madness in a Little Rascal short in 1930 called Shivering Shakespeare. The kids are doing a play, and then things ultimately disintegrate into a bunch of adults throwing desserts and pies at kids and vice versa. That's right, Ben. And like we talked about earlier, cartoons really started getting into the mix because as we know, there was a time where cartoons would, you know, precede like the feature or whatever. I mean, that even happened. Like I remember a cartoon preceding Who Framed Roger Rabbit and a couple of other like Warner Brothers features that when I was a kid, there would be a cartoon before it. And obviously Pixar has kind of like, you know, continued that tradition with all their Pixar shorts. But the Looney Tunes really kind of were mimicking so many of these tropes that were so big in Hollywood and kind of like, you know, making it even more absurd. And when you go back and watch some of the old Looney Tunes cartoons, you can really see the different styles of pie in represented, like in Slick Hair, the Looney Tunes cartoon where Bugs Bunny is, you know, torturing Elmer Fudd. As usual, they're working in some kind of bakery and he's tricking him into baking pies only to hit him in the face with every single pie that he finished is making. And in that clip, and Humphrey Bogart makes an appearance, of course, but those pies are custard. They're like dripping off of their faces uh, with this kind of beige liquid. But there's also Bugs Bunny cartoons where you see another version of the pie that for like contrast reasons and, you know, costume coloration reasons, they used blackberries. And when you see like the kind of heavier crusted pies dripping off, there's like different versions of it in all these Looney Tunes cartoons. I think that's such a cool mimicking of kind of the history of this. Yeah. And they're also something smart, they're mimicking the dependence upon pie throwing that earlier comedic minds uh, did seem to have during that era preceding the rise of Looney Tunes. But it doesn't end there. If we jump forward to the 60s and 70s, we see the same kind of commentary happening again. In Mel Brooks' Blazing Saddles, 1974, there is a pie fight, but it's also satire making fun of Hollywood's reliance on the idea of of the pie fight. So it became this sort of visual metaphor for unoriginal comedy. Exactly. Yeah. Even Chaplin, you know, way back, because he always kind of had his like finger on the pulse of uh, what was going on in Hollywood and kind of trying to upend it and, you know, sort of subvert a lot of these tropes, like right when they were happening. Finger in the pie, maybe. Uh, a million percent. Um, and back in 1916, in, in a, a film that we mentioned in the previous episode, Behind the Screen, it is behind the scenes in a made-up film studio showing this kind of, like, absurd dependence where, like, it's almost like a 
factory where large groups of actors are like lined up practicing their pie throwing <laughs> Uh, skills because it was such an important thing that you had to like have special training, like some sort of Navy SEALs operation. And the interstitial in what was a silent film, you know, the ones where like they have the action and then some lines come on, says the comedy department rehearsing a new idea. And the idea in 1916 that it was a new idea was in and of itself like kind of mocking the whole practice. Right. And now the pie fight itself doesn't just seem to be waning in popularity. Even the idea of making fun of pie throwing seems to have gotten a little bit old, but it hasn't disappeared. You'll always see a shout-out popping up in the oddest places. Uh, we mentioned children's TV in part one of the series. But, you know, I think a good pie to the face is never going to quite go away just because it's so easy, and now it's inherently its own kind of commentary. And not only will pie fighting probably never go away completely, but you can also see it in some very high-minded films, uh, perhaps most infamously in 1964's Dr. Strangelove by Stanley Kubrick. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your teen requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your teen enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off the that's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. This episode is brought to you by Discover. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved only for a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everyone feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service, as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.
Yeah, while you might not be able to see it in the actual cut of Stanley Kubrick's Dr. Strangelove, maybe there's a version where you can get this deleted scene. Might be a little too early. It might have just been lost to time. But there apparently was a scene shot between the generals and the politicians in the war room. This is one of my favorite movies. I love Dr. Strangelove so much, where they got into like a massive pie fight. I'm kind of glad they cut it. It seems like that would have been a little over the top. It's it's kind of subtle the way it is, as extreme and bizarre as it gets. But that's so funny to know that that happened. Yeah, the thing is that the reason Kubrick decided to cut this scene is because he felt the actors playing the generals were having too much fun. Their jubilation, he said, felt inappropriate. And there's another political reason it didn't make it in there. In the scene, Peter Sellers plays President Muffley, and the president, Muffley, is hit with a pie in the face as a general yells out, quote, our gallant young president has been struck down in his prime. This scene was shot before the assassination of President JFK in November of 1963, but the film wasn't released until afterwards, so they felt oh. like it would have been a bad look to keep it in. Yeah, it's sort of the past equivalent of like removing shots of the World Trade Center, for example, in films that were, you know, in production before that event happened. And even for many years after, uh, those uh, shots were removed even from like the openings of, of long-running television shows. Yep. And if you want to see the Laurel and Hardy epic pie fight that is now acknowledged as the pie fight to end all pie fights, you are in luck because for a long, long time, this battle was lost to history. For decades, half of the short was missing. It was 20 minutes on two reels, and that second reel had been lost. So film historians have been trying to put in the gaps of the battle of the century with exploratory title cards, but these could never really replicate the work the actors have been doing. And so it wasn't until 2015 when a toxicologist named John yes. Mirsalis, <laughs> no. toxicologist by day, that's his right. Clark Kent stuff. He's a, he's a film collector and scholar. That's his Superman at night. He's um, like a film scholar, like Dexter almost, you know, like by day he's like working for the man, you know, like uh, trying to right wrongs and solve crimes. And by night he's doing this completely other thing. A little different, but that's so great that he is the one who kind of cracked the case on this, right? Yeah, and he didn't realize what he had at first. He mentioned it at a film conference in Virginia. He put the reel into his projector, and he's played the film. And then as he looked at Laurel and Hardy walking down the street, this is reported in that New York Times article we mentioned earlier, he noticed he was seeing something he had never seen before. He saw the lead-in to the pie fight. He had seen the banana seller. And then, right after that, he started making plans to restore and reunite both reels. And so, that is why now you can watch the pie fight as it was intended. Thank God. Yeah, the article in the New York Times, Comedy's Sweet Weapon, The Cream Pie, was from 2015, and that was when kind of efforts to restore this were underway. You can, at the very least, watch this on YouTube, and I would hope that it exists in some kind of, you know, restored, like, 4K version. This seems like the kind of thing you should see in 4K, but you can find it on YouTube if you just search for Laurel and Hardy, Battle of the Century. It's like three minutes, 40 seconds. If, if you're uh, for the people who's like me, you can also conceivably recreate your own pie fight 
Just have that. That how about that as a mass post pandemic party? You just sign up for. You get. We'll we'll rent out a park. We'll get like a hundred something people and thousands of pies. Oh, I mean, this needs to happen, Ben. This needs to be a yearly thing. I think we should bring it back. But let's not end without talking about something that we alluded to earlier, but didn't really follow through with. Buster Keaton. We talked about how he was kind of like the brain behind the sort of elevation of the pie hit as an art form. And as it became so much more popular and then kind of waned in popularity, it became really important to use it for much less slapsticky and much more kind of cultural reasons, right? So there became this language of who was okay to hit with a pie and who was not, who was fair game. Yeah, this is the uh, this is the matter of pie ethics. They teased at the very end of episode one. Yes, not only was this a preemptive two-parter, but we also followed through on what yes, we said we were going to do. Thank uh, God. So uh, Keaton is in this interview with uh, an historian and broadcaster named Studs Turkle, which is an awesome name. That's 1962, and Keaton says, you know, you could hit the wrong people with a pie and get an audience mad at you. There are certain characters you just don't hit with a pie. We found that out a long time ago. There are just certain people you do not hit with a pie. That's all there is to it. And, and he provided an example of this, didn't he? Yeah, and this is in the 60s. This guy is kind of like, you know, in his uh, twilight years, and he still talks like a cartoon character. I wish we had tape of this, but um, we should, uh, I, I want to put it in like a weird mid-Atlantic, you know, early film accent, but I'm just going to read it because the words say enough on their own. If I had a grand dame who was dogging it and putting it on, <laughs> a gray-haired woman, but so overbearing and everything else that the audience would like to hit her, then you could hit her with a pie and they'd laugh their heads off. But if she was a legitimate old lady <laughs> and a sincere character, you wouldn't dare hit her. If she's a phony, that's different. The same thing goes for a man. It's the same thing with any character where you have to, you know, empathize with the character. And if you don't, it's sort of like a minor villain, right? This gray-haired old woman who's overbearing in Keaton's mind is a minor villain who deserves some sort of retribution in the form of a pie in the face. And, of course, there are real incidents of actual people, often prominent politicians, thought leaders, being hit with pies. One of them was Bill Gates. Got hit in the pie by a pie thrower named Noel Godin, a Belgian what? writer. Yep. Oh, and okay. uh, and Godin targeted Bill Gates for this pie because he thought the guy was getting, quote, too haughty. And so, he, <laughs> so there was a meeting between like the, uh, there's a meeting in Brussels, Bill Gates, the Flemish minister and the president at the time. And Godin stepped forward threw cream pies at Bill Gates' face, and then he just said, my work is finished here. And Bill Gates, old Billy G, responds in like a pretty strange and, and somewhat impressive way. The reports say that Gates was initially really startled, but then he tried to react casually a little bit later. He got cleaned up, and then he said, you know, I was just surprised because the pie wasn't all that good. Yeah, well, as we everything we know about pie throwing says that, you know, maximum impact in a pie throw does not necessarily a delicious pie equal. God, I'm surprised that the guy that did this didn't get, like, sniped by somebody up in a, in a tree or a turret somewhere. I mean, Bill Gates, you know, that guy's like a government into himself. That's right. 
This was 1998, I believe, when he threw the pie. So maybe it was a slightly different time. But shout out to you, pie throwers of the world. There's no one who should be considered above it. But there are some people who deserve dignity. We hope that we have, alongside a a slice of comedy history, we hope we have also given you a little a la mode of pie ethics. Yum. You can find us on the internet. We are Ridiculous History on all the places you find podcasts on the internet. Uh, you can also find Ben and I as individual human persons. I am at How Now Noel Brown on Instagram. Throw a digital pie my way over on Twitter where I'm at Ben Bolin, HSW, or, you know, toss me some of your favorite bits of comedy history over at Instagram where I'm at Ben Bolin. That's B-O-W-L-I-N. Big, big pie in the face. Well-deserved to our friend slash nemesis, Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quister. Huge thanks to Alex Williams, who composed our theme. He doesn't get a pie unless he, you know, is, is in the mood for a pie. Uh, Christopher Hasiotis here in spirit. Our research associate extraordinaire, Gabe Luzier. You know, I would throw, I could see Christopher, because he plays such an excellent straight man. I could see him being a pie victim in fiction. But yes. I, I don't know. With a very doing... deadpan reaction. Right, exactly. Yes, I can visualize it now. Thanks also, of course, to super producer Casey Pegram, our producers, Andrew Howard and Max Williams. And Noel, thanks to you, man. Thanks thanks for not sabotaging me with a pie low these many years. I, I It's, it's going to be very difficult to do it through the Zoom, Ben, but maybe I could rig up some elaborate device that would secret, I could spear it into your home that on the push of a giant red button would slap you in the face with a pie. Ooh, or has somebody done this already? A delivery service that's like the old singing telegrams mm-hmm. from back in the day where someone opens up the door and you just say, you know, like, <laughs> you would just say like, kind regards from Ben and Noel, <laughs> and they throw a pie at you Ooh. and they run away. That's that'd be, be a da- that'd, that'd be a danger job. That's basically assault. That's a non-consensual <laughs> pie, Ben. We talked about this. That's true. You, ha- you, have, to have, uh, you have to have consent for, for the pie in the face. Man, this was a fun one. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more 
and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.